Thanks for joining us for the weekend edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Each Friday and Saturday here on In Spirit and Truth, Pastor J.D. gives a Mideast prophecy update from an Arab perspective as he connects the dots of current events geopolitically with last day's prophecies biblically. It is our belief that the next event on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the Church of Jesus Christ. It is our hope that these Bible prophecy updates will not only ready you and steady you for His return, but that they will also encourage you to share the gospel with others in order that the rapture will not be as a thief in the night. For the first time in history, the Pope visited the Middle East and met with the leaders from Catholicism, Islam, and Judaism. The Pope called this a new page in the history of relations between religions. While the idea of peace among all religions sounds like a good idea, coexistence is one step closer to the one world religion described in the book of Revelation. Now, don't forget to stay with us after today's Prophecy Update to learn how you can become a Facebook friend or watch the weekly Prophecy Update on YouTube. Now, here's Pastor J.D. with today's Prophecy Update as shared on February 10th, 2019. I just really sought the Lord and early Saturday morning I sensed that He would have me to talk about the prophetic significance of what's being dubbed an historic visit by the Pope to the United Arab Emirates. It wasn't just historic. I would argue it was prophetic. And I say that because it's the first visit by a Pope to the Arab Gulf state in history. The Pope called it, quote, a new page in the history of relations between religions. Doesn't that just sound so nice? Oh. While there, he delivered a homily to an estimated 135,000 in attendance, which included, interesting, over 4,000 Muslims in the capital city of Abu Dhabi. What's interesting is on Monday, and you would be hard-pressed. I had to do quite a bit of research to come up with the text of this and any kind of mention of this. But on Monday, the Pope and the Grand Imam of Al-Azhar signed a declaration calling for peace in the presence of a global audience. This global audience in attendance at this signing ceremony included religious leaders from Christianity, better understood as Catholicism, Islam, and Judaism, as well as other faiths. You have to understand that, and you'll forgive the, the, the car reference again, but the big three, <laughs> the big three are Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. And here's how it works in Jerusalem. Friday is Islam. Saturday, Shabbat, is Judaism. And Sunday 
is Christianity. The three major, the big three major religions all worship in Jerusalem today, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Listen to this quote from the Pope in regards to this signing. I'm quoting. If we believers are not able to shake hands, embrace one another, kiss one another, and even pray, our faith will be defeated. Close quote. In addition to this signing, the Pope also had a private meeting with Abu Dhabi's crown prince, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nayan, who later tweeted, and I quote, We discussed enhancing cooperation, consolidating dialogue, tolerance, human, listen very carefully to this word, you've seen it before, you've heard it before, we've talked about it before. Coexistence, coexist, and important initiatives to achieve peace, stability, peace and security, and development for peoples and societies. Okay, there are some very serious problems with all of this, specifically this quest for the coexistence of Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Chief amongst them is that of the coming one world religion that the book of Revelation tells us will come under the reign of the Antichrist during the seven year tribulation. A one world religion, a one world economy, and a one world government. Perhaps that's a topic for another time. We have again talked about that before, but what I really sense the Lord would have me to address today is another very serious problem, and it's that many a Christian has bought into the lie from the father of lies that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Here's the truth. Christians and Muslims do not and cannot worship the same God. And you might be surprised to know this, but according to the Muslim Quran, they cannot even coexist. Listen to these verses from the Quran. And by the way, let me hasten to say that Islam is a false religion, and Muhammad is a false prophet, and Allah is a false god. Quran chapter 5 verse 54. O believers, take not Jews and Christians as friends. They are friends of each other. Those of you who make them his friends is one of them. God does not guide an unjust people. Quran 47.4 When you meet the unbelievers, they, it depends on the, the translation from the Arabic, but some of the Qurans render it, the people of the book, that's the Jews and the Christians, 
The Jews are the Old Covenant, the Christians, the New Covenant, the book, the Bible, the infidel, the unbelievers. Smite their necks, behead them. Then, when you have made wide slaughter among them, tie fast the bonds. Then set them free, either by grace or ransom, until the war lays down its burdens. Quran 5.33 The only reward of those who make war upon Allah and His Messenger and strive after corruption in the land will be that they will be killed or crucified or have their hands and feet on alternate sides cut off or will be expelled out of the land. This is the Quran. And by the way, I just read, painfully so, it gives me no pleasure to read these satanic verses, and that's what they are. But I'm telling you that this is Islam. These three verses in the Quran are three of what one has counted to be over 120 verses that command the true Muslim to kill the Christian and the Jew. Don't take my word for it. Be a Berean. Don't take anybody's word for it. Be a Berean and search the scriptures and see if what I am telling you here today is the truth or not. You'll forgive the bluntness with which I say this. But either Jesus is who he says he is, or he is the liar of liars. I can't even, it's hard to let those words come from my lips. Listen to the words from the Savior himself, John fourteen six. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? The road is pretty narrow, isn't it? I'm sorry if I'm yelling. Jesus did not say that he is a truth, a way, a life. No. The truth. The truth. Here's a question. How can people be so gullible as to believe that the world's religions can coexist? Here's an answer. When one rejects the truth, the truth, they will believe the lie. And as such, they'll be condemned and perish against the will of a loving God who does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica in his second epistle, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. He says, The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all, listen, 
unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. Another translation renders it a powerful delusion, deception, that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But God. But God in John 3, 16 through 18, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe, can I say the truth, but instead has believed the lie, is condemned already because... He has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The name, the name, the name. Why do I highlight and emphasize that? Because Allah is the name. You know what's really sad? If you got an Arabic Bible and you could read Arabic, the word God is translated Allah. In other words, God, the title, not the name. That's the title. So very subtly, very satanically, it has deceived people into believing that Allah is synonymous with God. When I was growing up, as a little boy, my mom innocently used to pronounce what I believe is the Arabic version of the Aaronic blessing in Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And God tells Moses to command Aaron to pronounce this blessing upon them. And then he says this, I have put my name, name upon them. We talked about this, and again, we'll maybe talk about this again yet future. But she would pronounce this blessing of God, and bless her heart, she didn't know any better, but she would say in Arabic, Ism Allah alik. The name of Allah, she thought was God, the name of God be upon you. It's the highest blessing you can pronounce on anyone. The name of God be upon you. Because the name of God is the nature of God, see. So I 
changed it. She's with the Lord now. Been many, many years since she went home to be with the Lord. But I changed it to Isim Yesua Alek, the name of Jesus be upon you. So why do I mention that? Because Allah is not the same as Jehovah. We cannot join hands with someone, embrace someone, even pray with someone who doesn't worship the true and living God. There are those who argue that, well, the Pope is just trying to build bridges. Okay, here's where I'm going with all this. Instead of coexisting with the Muslim, we're to be reaching out to the Muslim with the good news of salvation for the Muslim. What if I told you that Muslims in the Middle East today, by the multitudes, are seeking Jesus and finding Jesus by the multitudes. You know, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't say this to shame us. If I do, maybe it's a sanctified shaming, and I include myself in that sanctified shaming, but they'll put us to shame their worship services. I realize that we're not likely to hear about this on our news feeds. But the truth of the matter is, Muslims are coming out of Islam, and they're coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. On Monday, I read a most interesting article published in the Christian Post about Syrian Muslims who are finding Jesus after witnessing the brutality of Islamic groups like ISIS, Syria, in Syria. You know, this is the thing, when we talk about the prophetic significance of Syria in Isaiah 17, I think one of the things that's lost is that these are people, man. These are fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and uncles and aunties. and These are people. These are my people. Tell you, you've never been so humbled as to watch a former Muslim worship the Lord. I was thinking in Isaiah 19, another prophecy, not about Syria, but about Egypt. God calls the Egyptians, who, by the way, come to Christ. In the end, He calls the Egyptians, my people, the Egyptians. God loves the Muslim. Jesus died for the Syrian, for the Egyptian. For the Arab people, he loves the Arab people. So in this story, published in the Christian Post, they talk about a guy by the name of Farhad Jassim. He's 23 years old. He works as a mechanic, and he converted to Christianity late last year. He was jailed by ISIS for six months in early 2016 after the militants discovered he didn't know the basics of Islam. (laughs) During his time in captivity... He was tortured and forced to read the Qur'an. He said, listen to this, It didn't take me long to discover that Christianity was the religion I was searching for. I don't want to be a Muslim anymore. Their God is not my God. 
It's testimonies like this from Farhad Jassim and the multitudes like him that are one of the main reasons we do these updates and end with the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. By the way, in the book of Acts, we're told that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I uh, found online the text of the agreement that was signed by uh, the Pope calling for peace. And uh, it was kind of a tough read, but I did a search, and I searched the name Jesus in that document. And not one time did I find the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, mentioned even one time. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came, he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and he's coming back one day. Good news. Your debt has been paid in full. You're free to go. Good news. That's what the word gospel means. What debt? Oh, you didn't know? (laughs) Oh, maybe you need to know the bad news first. Don't you hate it when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I got good news and I got bad news. What do you want to hear first? To which I like to respond, get thee behind me, Satan. I do not want any bad news. I'll take the good news. But no, sometimes we need the bad news first, because the badder the bad news is, the gooder the good news will be. I know that's not proper English. Please don't email me. Bad news is we've all been sentenced to death for all eternity because of our sin. That's the bad news. And the good news is, is that Jesus paid yours and my death penalty in our stead with his blood shed. That's the good news. It's also why we do the ABCs of salvation at the end of our updates, not to insult anyone's intelligence, rather to provide a simple childlike explanation of how to be saved. I know for me, 37 years ago now, It had to be simple. If it were complicated, I wonder whether I would have come to Christ or not. First of all, I, because of my lifestyle, had damaged a lot of my brain from all the drugs and the drinking and the partying. When I got saved, my brain was so damaged, I could not form an intelligible sentence. That's how brain damaged I was. In fact, when I went out and bought a Bible, I could not, (laughs) no way, understand the King James So I bought a good news Bible that had a limited vocabulary in plain English. And even that was a stretch for me and a challenge for me. Those are some big words, you know, (laughs) in there. It has to be simple. It has to be easy. Are you ready? If not, you need to be ready because our redemption draws nigh. This is what Jesus said about seeing these prophecies begin to come to pass in Luke chapter 21, verse 28. 
This verse speaks directly to the heart of the prophecy update that Pastor J.D. shares each Friday and Saturday here on In Spirit and Truth. The goal for each prophecy update is twofold. First, to equip you with information you need to live in these exciting last days. Second, to encourage you in your faith in the Creator of the universe. Every word in the Holy Bible is 100% true. We're seeing that fact being proven each and every day. We pray that you have been both blessed and challenged by today's Prophecy Update. And we do hope you join us again for tomorrow's conclusion to this Prophecy Update from Pastor J.D. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of today's broadcast, you can become a Facebook friend with us by logging on to www.inspiritandtruthradio.com. We've provided a link to our Facebook page. Another great option to stay current with Pastor J.D.'s Prophecy Updates is to subscribe to the Aloha Bible Prophecy Update YouTube channel. The Prophecy Update YouTube channel has all the current updates that Pastor J.D. has shared as well as an archive of past updates. Again, log on to InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and follow the link to the Prophecy Update YouTube channel. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Please join us tomorrow as Pastor J.D. concludes this prophecy update. That's next time on In Spirit and Truth.